All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in First uh, Corinthians chapter three. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, First Corinthians three. Again, this Saturday is the uh, live art experience for a fundraiser for the source with the auction afterwards and everything, and um, worship team, and then also a uh, guest speaker will be there, and the live artist, of course, that's the main show, and I encourage you to come out for that if you can. If you find yourself available and you haven't bought your tickets yet, you can go and uh, purchase your tickets at the door if you want to, and um, all the way up until 7 o'clock, so that'll be this Saturday. And then, of course, uh, after... Uh, second service on Sunday, uh, we have the Life Chain, and there's some information on the back table there for you. To, if you've never heard of it before, never been, never participated in it before, it'll let you know a little bit about what we do and what it's about, and some of the rules that we um, need to adhere to. And um, but that's out there too, and that's at two o'clock from two to three. We'll meet at the courthouse at one forty-five, um, hand out the signs, pray, go over some of the rules, and then we'll get in position just for an hour, and then uh, you go on with your day. So. That's going on this weekend. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, um, starting this church, spent a year and a good, good amount of time there with them, um, ministering to them. Uh, felt it necessary to write this second letter to them. Um, it, it's actually the second letter. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians is, is actually 3 Corinthians. We just don't have the 1 Corinthians letter we, from what we understand. Um, and so he writes this letter to them because they're a very carnal church. Um, they're a very spirit-filled church, but they're a very carnal church. And uh, as Christians, uh, we can be carnal, um, living after the flesh or um, apologizing for um, righteousness and living for sin, basically. And um, the interesting thing about this is that they're still a very spirit-filled church. All the gifts of the Spirit are in operation. The fruit is there for the most part. Um, but the gifts are being abused. They're being used inappropriately, and they're meant to exalt the body when they're actually u- being used here by the Corinthian church to exalt the person um, as a badge of honor or as a badge of uh, dignity. Um, and it's never meant to be that way. And so Paul's correcting them. Um, you know, this isn't what it looks like to judge somebody, to go up to them and tell them, look, that's not how you're supposed to act. That's not judgmental, <laughs> that's exhortation. You're supposed to do that. We're called to do that as Christians. Um, we misunderstand, I think, a lot of things in the Bible. Um, I recently read something where someone says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. They're not happy with all the uh, arguing and stuff going on in the world, and so they, they just thought they'd pull that card out. And I'm thinking, well, the exact same person that said, blessed are the peacemakers, also said that I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So I don't think you means what you think it means. Um, be careful um, how we just grab a verse and not read it without, you know, without context. It, uh, um, it can really get us into some trouble. Um, he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to divide, Jesus said. Very important. There's a side to choose. Um, there's a war at hand. Always has been. There is a war. And um, you can't just say, I, I, just, I choose to be a conscientious objector, then you've chosen the wrong side. Um, we're at war. And so if my Savior's at war and he brings a sword, I'm on his side. I want to be on that team. Um, I want to understand what he's at war with, how he fights his battle, what are the utensils of his war, and use those and be, be about that. 
Um, he did come to bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who bring uh, peace, goodwill towards men, those who bring peace between man and God. That's what Jesus came to do, is to bring peace between man and God. That's, the, that's his name. Um, king of righteousness, king of peace, prince of peace. Peace between God and man. But as far as man to man goes, it's war. It's between uh, those who are with Jesus and those who are without. Um, believers and unbelievers. And we are here to bring people to God. So with that being said, Paul here, not being judgmental, telling them, you're not acting right. You're not acting like a Christian. You're not walking like a Christian. You're a carnal Christian, and you need to straighten up. So he's taking them through this. Chapter 3 has several sections. There's actually five of them. Um, but he uses several analogies to try to get this across to them. We're here to, we're here to grow. We're either growing people, um, we're growing crops, we're building buildings. These are the examples that he's going to use for us to understand our spiritual growth. Remember, everything talked about in chapter 3 is spiritual, not physical. And we'll see where some people take some verses out of chapter 3, out of context, and turn them into physical things. And uh, it's inappropriate and misrepresents God's Word. So, let's get into it. Verse 1. And I, Paul says, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behave like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The challenge here that Paul's trying to, or the problem, the division he's trying to uh, attack here or rectify or however you want to put it is the fact that they would name themselves after the person whom they identified with the most in their Christian walk. Whoever meant the most to them, that's the person. You know, I'm a, I'm a so-and-so Christian, I'm a Paul Christian, or I'm an Apollos Christian, or I'm a whatever. And he had already addressed that in chapter 1, um, but he wants to bring it down a little bit so we understand that God has lots of tools in his toolbox, and he's using them in everybody's lives. Um, we're not to identify with the tool, but the person holding the tool, Jesus Christ, or the Father. And so he calls them out on that. There's, uh, there's carnal Christians, and they're, they're identified by the envy and the strife and the divisions among them. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, he says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly or carnal mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. We're a body of believers. We're not a divided body. We're a body. A divided body is a dead body. A divided body is a grotesque body. Nobody wants to see a divided body. I even have a hard time looking at, you know, surgeries on YouTube and stuff like that. Kind of grosses me out to watch some of that stuff. I'm not one of those guys that can't stand the sight of blood. It doesn't bother me. You just hate to see someone in that position. It's not right. You hope they get better. Prayers involved when you see somebody in that condition. Boy, you better pray over them. Well, the body of Christ should be whole, intact, um, running, healthy, strong, um, visibly fit. You know. Equipped, attached to the head. That's a must, you know. 
so that it can function like it's supposed to. And the divided body uh, is grotesque and, and, and not, um, it's just not right. You just know there's something not right about it. And so Paul says this envy and this strife and divisions, it doesn't look right. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, Paul addresses this with the Galatians. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh or to be carnal, but through love serve one another. I love my liberty. I love that. That's the scripture that's going to go below this flag. We've got the first part up. second part is going to say that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's a liberty. We love liberty, but it's not meant for us to then uh, cloak our sin, you know, so that, hey, I'm just showing my liberty in Christ. I'm still a believer, and I can do all these naughty things. Um, Paul says, no, Galatians, you're not supposed to be like that. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, you won't be carnal when you're walking in the, fle- walking in the Spirit. Because the flesh lusts against the Spirit. That's the battle. That's the war. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is what we need to watch out for in our lives. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be into that stuff. That's the flesh. That's to be of the carnal mind. Christianity isn't something that you add to that list. I do all these things and I'm a Christian. That's cloaking your sin with liberty or not to do that. And so Paul's dealing with that. You guys, you're like babies. You're like a tiny little baby Christian. And you, you ought to be eating solid food. I ought to be able to talk to you about serious spiritual things. We ought to be past all those basic things we talked about earlier. Uh, chapter 2, we talked about those things. Those are basics. We should be beyond basics now. Um, but we're still, we're still sucking on the um, bottle here. And we need to get off that. It's time to grow up. And so these carnal Christians who think they're more mature, thinks they're further along, more advanced, and you even see that today. Oh, you, you guys are just too, you know, too stiff-collared. No, no. We've just been affected by the gospel so much that holiness is beginning to reign in our lives, and it's important, you know. And so Paul calls them on that. Stop this envy and strife and division over these people. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Here's what the Spirit does. Galatians, back in Galatians 5, the 22 through 26, carrying right on through with what we left off. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so Paul knows this is a problem at the Corinthian church. He also writes to the Galatians about it. It's just a human problem. He knows that that flesh and the spirit are warring within us. And he's trying to encourage us not to, not to give in to the flesh, not to give in to being just a carnal saved person, 
but to make war, to fight. Let that fruit of the Spirit come out. Embrace that walk in the Spirit, not just living in the Spirit, but walking in the Spirit, which means you're doing it. You know, you're a doer. You have to make a conscious decision every morning. Am I going to live after the flesh or am I going to live after the Spirit? Am I going to think about the fleshly things all day long or am I going to think about spiritual things all day long? I, I, would, I would love for us all, and hopefully we do, look at the world and the things that are going on politically, economically, uh, everything with spiritual eyes. It's, a, it's just ratcheted up, you know? Don't get carnal. Don't start thinking that I'm on this side or that side, but start seeing things spiritually and whatever it is, stand up for righteousness. That was what my pastor had always told me. What should I do about this? Stand up for righteousness. There's way too many variables. If you start picking situations and things, stand up for what's right. Stand up for righteousness. Got so excited when the Steelers guy came outside of the tunnel to stand 15 yards in front of the rest of his teammates standing up for righteousness but then got who knows what happened apologized later on for doing it sorry that he left his teammates behind no dude you stood up for righteousness it was the right thing to do and you did it and it took a lot of guts to do it and how disappointing that in the face of some adversity probably in the locker room afterwards that that crumbles so quickly it's unfortunate. It's symptomatic, though. It's a symptom in the church. I don't see it as, I care less about the NFL. I haven't watched an NFL game probably in my life. I just, I'm not an NFL guy. I'm not, I'm not an NHL guy. I'm not a, I don't even know the rest of the acronyms. I don't, I, go sports. That's, you know, yay. I don't, but I like it when people stand up for righteousness. I liked the, the, I wasn't going to get into this tonight. It's hard not to. I liked the speech at the United Nations that our president gave. I liked it. And it wasn't because I'm just this big Trump guy. I am. I support him. He's my president. Way better than our other option was, for sure. It wasn't even a choice. But what I liked about it, and I couldn't figure this out. Am I just being carnal? I just like, what I liked about it was there was no apologies for being a shining beacon of liberty and hope in this world as a nation. And that that is the standard, and that is exceptional, and that is better than any other place out there. It is. It is because it was Christian. It is because it's following Jesus. It is because the righteousness of Christ used to, hopefully, and still somewhat shines in our country. And that all the world needs to see that, and all the world needs to embrace that, and all the world needs to have Christ. And where Christ is, there's liberty. Contrast that with the big Saudi Arabian king finally giving women the right to drive. The so magnanimous of you, sir. Give me a break. Smack his crown right off his head. That ain't for you to give. They had that already. Ten lashes if you make a mistake in your car. That's what women used to get. It wasn't necessarily illegal to drive over there. They just wouldn't really get their permit. They just didn't give out permits to women. It was never really on the books. You're just not going to grant it. 
And if you did drive without your permit, you got 10 lashes publicly with a whip as a woman. That's without Christ. That's with Muhammad. That's with Allah, which is not the same God as our Father in heaven. We are a city. We are a country. Shining example of what liberty looks like and should be. We may be using liberty as a cloak for vice right now, and that is inappropriate and wrong, and God's Word tells us that we shouldn't do that. Liberty doesn't give us the right to sin, nor should it, and that's what the writer here is telling to us. But by no means do we sacrifice our liberty that we have in Christ. So I like that stuff, but see it with spiritual eyes. No, I'm not proud of how we're using our liberty in our country. It's wrong. It needs to be corrected. But it has to come from a heart change. It can't be legislated. I mean, there's nothing wrong with legislating it, but it needs to come from the heart also. We legislate morality all the time. Um, anyway, we're in a war between God and Satan, and it comes in lots of different flavors and colors and flags and rhetoric, but I stand up for righteousness. And so I look at everything with spiritual eyes. I look at everything um, that way, and... Um, I wanted to examine my heart about that UN speech. I was like, okay, God, am I just a carnal guy? He's like, no, and he gave me like six scriptures all strung together, and I was going to post them, and I was like, no. There'll be way too much explaining afterwards, you know. But the scriptures start off with, in the very beginning, Satan was warned that you're going to bruise the heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's our God saying that. That's a prophecy about what Messiah was going to do, what Jesus was going to do. He's going to crush the head of Satan, but he's peaceful. Not so much. Not so much. When Joshua sees him for the first time, he's dressed in full armor. Who are you? Are you for us or for them? No. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. He's at war. Did you come to bring peace or a sword? I didn't come to bring peace, Jesus said. I came to bring a sword. And several other scriptures. In fact, Moses, when he describes God, he says, my God, Yahweh, is a warrior. That's how he describes him. We're at war. And Satan is desperately trying to make the church war with itself divide itself so it's no longer an instrument of war in this world for righteousness. And we need to be. This unity that we need to have is not the absence of conflict, but unity in the Spirit. Standing up for righteousness in the Spirit. What does God stand for? That's what I stand for. The world may not stand for that. It may be offensive to the world, but Jesus was never afraid of offending people. I think we're too worried about offending people. Paul's not worried about offending people. He says, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies. That's exactly what he just said in the first four verses of chapter 3. I'd like to talk to you like an adult, but I can't because you're a baby. Paul. No. No. That's what he says, and that's what he means. The next section, 5 through 8. Well, it's more than that, but... Who is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who uh, waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Those are my funny slides that I have. The first one that Paul says, Paul says, I'm a planter. Can you show that first slide for me? That's what Paul is. He's the implement. That's just not a right picture, is it? Green and red together is just inappropriate for those of you who are farmers. Just kidding. Show the next picture because this is Greg Laurie. Get it? Little planters versus big planters. But that's all they are is planters. You can run up to that machine and kick it and say, why aren't you watering me or why aren't you doing this? Because I'm not designed to do that. What I do is I plant. The farmer's going to switch. Apollos, that's the next picture, he's an irrigator. That's all he does is water. And go ahead and show the next one. And that's Greg Laurie. <laughs> kind of a running gag. But that's all they do. But there's one farmer. There's one farmer. That's the father. He runs all the implements. That's all we do. We just sit behind him and he picks what he wants to use whatever time he wants to use it. And God brings the increase. God's the one using the planter. God's the one using the inter- irrigator. That's it. That's all I had. Those are all my slides for tonight. That's all Paul's getting at. He says, I'm nobody. I'm just an implement in God's hands, the farmer. Apollos is nobody. Very useful in God's hands, designed for a specific purpose. But God gives the increase. God's the farmer. And he chose me to start and Paulus to water. Now, here's what I think is interesting. He's something we need to keep in, um, keep in mind. Um, they're given by God. Um, it's the first thing he says. Who, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers, servants, that's all they are. They're nothing of themselves. They have nothing to boast about. They're simply an implement in God's hands through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I think we complain sometimes about the people God gives us in our lives. Well, you're of no use to me. Sorry, you know. What I really need is this, or I need more of this, or I need something that's like. And I tried to find a picture of that Willy Wonka machine where it does everything, you know, does all that stuff. Those are goofy looking, and they don't do anything well. They function, they do it all, but they don't do everything well. You need specific implements for specific tasks, and that's all Paul's saying. Paul says, I'm, an, I'm a planter, that's what I do. Apollos, he's a waterer, that's what he does. The water comes in behind. After the planting is done, the watering comes in and makes sure that it has just enough moisture to keep growing, but not too much to drown it. It's touchy. And the waterer doesn't know when to turn itself on or turn itself on. It's only used when the farmer says, you're used. Otherwise, I put you back in storage because you know what? We're not in a drought. We're getting plenty of rain. I'm just going to shut you off. It's good. But when there is a drought, we turn you on and you, you sprinkle. That's all you do is sprinkle. And the planter, boy, they don't get used very long. I don't know how long it takes to plant. So it depends on the size of your farm. But once the seed's in the ground, you're done. You get put away, cleaned up, lubed up, ready for next year, stored back in the barn. And so Paul is using here an example of planting. 
growing a crop. Before it was people, you're a baby, you need to grow up to be an adult. Paul's now using and switching gears, so you're like a farm. There's some seed that needs to be scattered. Then once the seed's scattered and once it germinates, we begin to water it. We get the increase from that. But God is the farmer. God is the farmer. There's a timing thing. Apollos doesn't come in before Paul. Apollos comes in after Paul. Obviously, what good does it do to water down the dirt with no seed underneath it? You've got to do things in order. And God does that. God brings the increase. Sometimes we get ahead of God. Sometimes I get upset that he's not doing this, that, or the other thing, or we do. Come on, hurry up. But it's God's timing. And with a farmer, it's all about patience. I think that's why God says, let patience have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. The perfect work is, you know what, you just do what you can do, and you, you make sure the environment's right for growth. If the seed's good, which it is, God's Word is good, and the water's good, that's the Holy Spirit, and teaching and studying God's Word, then it's going to grow. The person's going to grow. It's going to bear fruit. It's going to have deep roots. It naturally takes place, but it takes time and patience. And then he finally says, and to each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. In other words, the planters are going to get their reward, the waters are going to get their reward, and God is going to get his reward. In Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, I am your exceedingly great reward. The reward is great fellowship with God. You're a participant in the farming practices of the Lord. That's, a, that's an honor and a privilege to be a part of that. That's the reward itself, being in the ministry, being a servant of God in any capacity. Man, you go to some farm, you look at their sheds, you look at all the stuff in there. You may just be a grease gun, but any farmer will tell you how important it is to have a grease gun. You don't grease those joints, you don't grease those... Zerts? What do they call them? I call them zerts, but I don't know what they call them. Man, you've got some problems later on. But boy, you may feel like, I'm just a grease gun. But man, you're so essential. You're a part of the ministry. You're a part of the farm. You're a part of the process. And so valuable. Numbers 18.31, you may eat it in, its, in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. That was God telling them about the bread. Sometimes you get to eat of it. Sometimes you get to actually get some provision from it. The ox, when he's treading out the grain, he's allowed to eat freely. That's your reward. That's part of it too. Not only being in the ministry, but you're also going to take care of you in the ministry. That's where your sustenance comes from. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hand, he has recompensed me. God's not only looking at the implement, but is it, is it worthy? Is it being used right? Is it clean? Or is it a rickety old thing that breaks down every time he needs to use it because it hasn't maintained, isn't, you know, isn't, isn't appropriate or usable? Nobody likes to get that piece of equipment out. I have one of those chainsaws. I have a good chainsaw and I have a bad chainsaw. I can't throw away a chainsaw. You get a new one, oh, just two pumps of prime and... Oh, it's just perfect. And then you got that chainsaw that it's almost like you have to have telepathy to know what it needs, you know? Half choke, full choke, no choke, start, start, start. 
dry it out, dry it out, dry it out, spin, turn on the side, pull, you know, or a weed eater or something like that. Ah, those tools. I don't want to be that tool. That has to be used just right in the right situation under the right circumstances and only when I feel like it, you know. No, I want to be ready and willing to go any time. God rewards us according to that. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Even kids can be a reward from God. They're a blessing. They're not a, a burden. This weekend's all about that. <laughs> They're not a choice. Kids are a reward from God. They're not something you throw away. You're throwing away a reward from God. You're saying, forget it. I don't want your stupid ribbon. I don't want your medal. I don't want your honor. I don't want your anything. You can have it back. No, they're to be a blessing. And then finally, Revelation twenty-two twelve. And behold, I, Jesus, am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And of course, he's talking about everlasting things. You kind of got to figure out what you are. Are you a planter? Are you a waterer? Are you a grease gun? Are you a finicky weed eater, you know? We don't want to be any of those things. I mean, we want to be what God's called us to be. We don't want to be the finicky thing, though. We want to be usable and ready to go anytime he wants. And all God, all Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul is, don't get so excited about the implement. Be who you are, but don't be excited that that was used on you. I mean, I'm kind of mixing things up here. Everybody's in the ministry or a planter or water, but you're also being ministered to by a planter or a waterer. But don't name yourself after that thing. It's just a thing. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Oh, switching gears now. That verse 9 really kind of goes with and transitions us into this next analogy. You're a field, and we're just fellow workers of God, but you're also a building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, uh, on it endures, he will receive a reward. There it is again. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So he switches to this building, and Paul's bold enough to say, I'm a master builder. That's what I do. I don't know if I'd call myself a master builder, but I am careful about how I build. The foundation, of course, is Jesus the Savior. He calls us on that. There is no other foundation. If you build on any other foundation, you're eventually going to have to tear it down and start over again. Jesus Christ is our rock and our salvation. He's the only thing we can build upon. The wise man builds his house upon the rock and so on. Jesus is that rock. He's the foundation. But we then build upon that. And that's, that's Paul's call. He's called to plant, but he understands that someone else is going to build. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, he, and if you, you know, we just read, we went, went over that. He said this, and this is important to keep this in mind. We use this 
and take this out of context. Romans 15, 20, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. That's pulled out as its verse by itself and used to say, if anybody goes where the gospel's already been preached, then they're building on another man's foundations. And Paul told us that we're not supposed to do that. That's not my understanding of the Scriptures. Because the same one that just said that also just wrote in 1 Corinthians that I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. He's not saying we're not supposed to build on another man's foundation. He's saying I don't build on another man's foundation. I'm a planter. Now, Apollos comes in and waters after I'm here, he's going to do that. And if we're switching analogies from crops to buildings, I'm going to lay the foundation of Jesus Christ and someone else is going to build on that. And that's okay. But me, Paul says, my calling is to plant. My calling is to lay foundations, to get churches started. I leave Timothy to set up elders and teachers to build them up and to teach them and to train them into being a full-blown building. But I just plant. That's what I do. Paul's not saying in Romans fifteen twenty that no one's supposed to do that. He says, I don't do that. I plant. Why would I plant on someone else's field that's already been planted? That's just dumb and wasteful. I'm going to go where there's some raw ground that hasn't been planted yet. I'm going to go there because that's my calling. What's your calling? I know what my calling's to do. My calling is to water. My calling is to build. I teach. I teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's what God's called me to do. Occasionally I'll plant some seed and try to get people saved, but I'm that tiny little planter. I'm not equipped for it, really. I'm not very good at it. Maybe a small plot, maybe a garden. But here's what I do do. I know that about myself. I know that's my calling. And whenever I try to step outside that calling and make it bigger, try to become that Swiss Army Knives of ministry... That was my other picture I was going to put up. You ever seen those ridiculous Swiss Army knives? They're like this big because they put every option in it. And it's, it's kind of a funny picture. Look it up if you haven't seen it. But you know what? They're not good for really anything at that point. Except maybe the toothpick because that detaches, you know. But you got this big dumb knife thing, or even if it's this big, and you pull out its little blade. Now I'm going to tell What Swiss Army guy's ever going to win a fight with that thing, you know? Swiss Army seems to be... <laughs> Uh, no such thing. <laughs> I'm more of a K-bar kind of guy. That's it. I got a blunt end, and I got a sharp end, but I'm really built for one purpose. But I want to do it well. I want to be that tool. It's hard to find a mechanic with a Swiss Army knife. What's he got? He's got a chest of tools every day tool for the right job, you know. When I was the, uh, believe it or not, I know nothing about cars, I was the parts manager at Boyle's for a while, not manager, parts flunky. And so I was in charge of special tools, because every time they come out with a new car, you also get about 10 or 15 special tools, because there's no way you're getting that piece of gear out without this special tool. Five-eighths ain't going to work on it. You know, you got to have this special tool. And I was in charge of all those things. We had a whole box full of special tools and to organize them. And, and once in a while, if we're going to take this one part out of this car from that year, you have to find that special tool to get it out. You know, it's pretty specialized, but so important. What are you called to do? And do it. And don't worry about the things you can't do. Just do what you do well, you know. 
So anyway, Paul's not saying that he doesn't build on another man's foundation because no one ever should. He's saying, no, that I'm a builder. I'm a foundation layer. It'd be dumb for me to lay a foundation on top of a foundation. It's, it's not necessary. I go to where the foundation's needed. I go to where the planting's needed. And so he says that. But he's also trying to get a point to the Corinthians and help them to understand that there's a process. First, we've got to have the conquer. The very first thing you've got to have is the survey. Then the second thing you have is the ditch digger that's going to dig it out and get ready for the concrete. Then you got the guys that come in and put the rebar. And then you got to put the concrete in there to fill in so that that foundation's laid. And once that's cured, then you put that sill plate on and you begin to build from there on out. You call in the framers. The framers come in and put in everything. And after the framers are there, I mean, it's a process. The painters show up on day one. They're just going to be sitting there. The roofers come. I don't think you're ready for me yet, you know. It's just dirt. It's in order. And so Paul says, everyone's called to a specific position. They come at the right time. The master builder comes in, lays the foundation. Someone else builds on it. Now, as you're building upon the foundation, Paul says, that I've laid, make sure you build a good building. Make sure that it's not out of hay, straw, and wood. Make sure that it's out of gold, silver, and stones. Make sure it's going to stand the test of time. The foundation's fine, but the structure needs to be solid. There's building codes, you know, things you got to follow. I remember when they told us when we built this place, we need hurricane straps, hurricane straps for all the trusses, you know. And the strap, hurricane strap, just attaches the truss to the top plate there. You have a top, double top plate, and you strap it. And it's a metal piece. It's kind of twisted. And it screws to that, and it screws to there, and it keeps everything kind of down in case the wind comes. It doesn't pull off. So you don't have just a bunch of tacked-on nails. So the wind comes, and up there goes the whole roof. You've got a hurricane strap. You're going to have to pick up the whole building now, and that's attached to our lag bolts into the concrete. It's supposed to be a really strong structure. It's the sum of its parts is its strength. So when they told us to do that, we're going to do every other one. I bought too many. We could take those back. Yeah, or we could install them. Because when I build something, man, I build it heavy. You try to move that sound booth. That sound booth, you could park a tank on top of that thing. I put wheels on it, but it doesn't roll very well. It's too heavy. But boy, there's more wood in that than, I don't know. So I build things heavy. As Christians, man, I want to be heavy. I want to be solid. I want when the wind blows, that I don't just barely, oh, I made it. Just barely made it. But boy, I was, I was attached to the rock. No, I want it to just kind of be, when I took JC on his 14-year-old trip, I take the kids on a 14-year-old trip and get some time with them and you know, show them the world a little bit and get them used to some different things and so they're not, it's not all foreign to them. And so I took JC on his 14-year-old trip and he wanted to go to a, a concert, outside, a three-day, four-day outdoor concert where you got to tent it, you know, and go to 12 stages or I don't know how I many, there are probably five stages. You got to do all these different bands constantly. That's his thing, you know? Okay. So we drive there and I set up our tent the Cabela's Alaska Guide Series Dome Tent. And as we're building it, I mean, there is stake after stake, and there's guy wire after guy wire, and it is a full fly, by the way, a full fly that goes all the way to the ground. And then those have guy wire, and, you know, it's, it, and it is. And I started putting them all in. He goes, it's, you know, we're kind of, that's enough. I said, you go ahead and go. I know that the strength of this tent is if everything's in, not just some of it. Put it all in. And everybody else is putting up their aluminum ones, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I don't mean to make fun of them, but I'm like, whatever. And sure enough, 
day two, storm rolled through that place, thousands of campers, you know, all these tents up. Storm came through. I mean, we had to go into shelter. Everybody had to go into shelter. We came out. There's only one tent out there, my friends. (laughs) And a bunch of twisted aluminum beside it from everybody else. And I stood there, arrogant and proud, with my hands on my hips, with my legs too far apart for the stance. And I looked at that thing, and I went, yes. Yes. And my son looked at me and goes, yes, you are father. (laughs) You are my father. And, you know, that tent, it was awesome. That thing, tornado weather, it was just going like this, just humming on the ground. But didn't, nothing, nothing was wet. Nothing was wet. Nothing moved. All the guys just, just, guys. You may think I'm crazy as a pastor. You may think I'm crazy as a teacher. That's what we want to build here. And that's what I want to build there. And that's what I want to be a part of. I want us to be those tents out there. And it's like, aren't you afraid? No, I'm not. Where do you go to church? Calvary Chapel. You know, we go outside and watch the storms. We don't go to the basement, you know. When the storms of life come your way, I mean, and and honestly, don't you want to be that person? When tragedy strikes your family or your home, that you're the one they come to and say, I don't know what to do and I don't know why you're so calm. I can tell you why I'm calm, because I'm set upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. My faith is grounded and I've been practicing and I'm prayed up and I'm ready for these storms. And when they come, I don't move because my Savior doesn't move. Not because I'm of anything, not because I'm strong, but because I've built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and I've read my Bible, and I understand it, and I believe it, and I've been practicing it, and I'm prayed up, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm a tent that is immovable in a storm. I don't care what comes its way. Not because I'm strong, but because the design is right. The design is right. Careful how you build on that foundation. Now remember, this is all spiritual that he's talking about here. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. There's lots of baptisms in the Bible. We think there's just that water one. No, 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 no. No, then there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then there's a baptism with fire. That fire will come through your life, and it'll burn away everything that was not approved by the builder. I looked pretty good. I had some pretty good... Yeah, but you shake shingles. This is a fire zone. You can't use shake shingles in this fire zone. You've got to use asphalt or whatever, fire retardant shingles or whatever. When that fire came through, your house went up like a tinderbox because you used wrong materials in it. Baptism of the fire is a blessing. It comes through my life. God comes through my life with a fire, a trial, a difficulty, and he burns away everything that was never going to stand anyway, and it was just, it was faux, F-A-U-X, faux, you know, or it was a veneer. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't structural. It says, whose fan is in, in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And thank goodness, because who wants it anyway? I don't want that. I don't want to be a straw house. I want to be a brick. I want to be solid. So be careful, he says, because you know what? A fire's coming, he says. 
And I'm, I'm telling you, and it's going to burn away everything. But, but if anyone's work is burned, he will, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Barely. Thoroughly. But all that comes through is Jesus Christ. Nothing else that was built upon that foundation was of any value. It all burned away. I don't want that. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, isn't this funny? We take that and we automatically start thinking of what? Start thinking of our body all of a sudden. He's going to get to that in chapter 6. I'm just giving you a little forewarning. He'll talk about the temple being the body, but that's not in context here. Right now he's talking about the spiritual things you built upon the spiritual truth of Jesus Christ. Don't defile your building spiritually. Be careful what goes into your eye gate, what goes into your ear gate. Be careful what you absorb as truth. Be careful what you're reading. Be careful what you're watching. Be careful of who you're listening to as far as spiritual truth goes. Be careful. Don't violate it. Don't corrupt it. Don't defile the temple of God. This building's being built. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And don't switch this scripture to start talking about your body. You know, you shouldn't smoke. Bible says so right here in verse 16. Do not know that you are the temple of God. That's not what he's talking about. Those are things that have to do with your physical body. Chapter 6 or verse 16 and 17 is about the spiritual dwelling. I'm spirit. None of this is going to heaven with me. My lungs are not going to heaven. My heart is not going to heaven. My kidneys are not going to heaven. I get a whole new upgrade hardware. But what is going to heaven is my theology, my doctrine, my beliefs, the way I walked with God. The spiritual things are going with me. Don't defile those things. Don't be a gatherer of spiritual nonsense and try to attach those to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Remember the building's purpose. The building's purpose, your spiritual walk with God is designed for God to dwell in it, to move in it, to live there, to be comfortable. I want him comfortable, you know? I'm for quality over quantity when it comes to God's building. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29 Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. None of it fell because it was on the rock. All the sayings of Jesus Christ attached to the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ is the solid building that's not going to fall in trials and troubles that come our way. Verse 26 though is, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and it was a great, and great was its fall. And so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Like he knew what he was talking about. Like like they were getting direct orders from heaven. And they were, because heaven came down. So, quality over quantity. When I build upon the spiritual foundation of Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but by him. Everything I build upon that, I want it to be just as right, just as accurate, just as strong, just as sure. Not I think or I might. 
I can be an impatient builder sometimes. I can get ahead of myself because I like the finished product. Who doesn't? Who doesn't like to see the countertops go in? Who doesn't like to see the paint, you know, and the vinyl and all the stuff that goes in? But boy, if none of that's attached to the, the solid structure of the kitchen, you know, or whatever part that you're remodeling, unless the studs have been replaced, if they're still rotten, those cabinets are going to fall and everything's going to fall off. It has to be done properly and in order and patiently. Then you'll have a serious, strong building. Defilement is of the Spirit. I just mentioned that. The purpose of the building is to hold God, so there needs to be purity of soul. But then there's also defilement that he's warning us about, and that's defilement of the Spirit. He's not talking about smoking. If he were talking about smoking anyway, which he will in chapter 6, by the way, not smoking itself, but things that are bad for us physically, then he's also talking about Twinkies, Doritos, and everything else. So don't pick on the smokers. We're all going to get hammered on chapter 6. Ice cream in abundance. But he's not here. He's just talking about the spirit. He's talking about immoral behavior. It's talking about a spiritual diet that you have to be careful of. Not your physical diet, your spiritual diet. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. I want you to add truth and his teachings and walking in the Spirit to that. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He's talking about spiritual things. Build on those things. Practice those things. Exercise those things, you know. Physical body, yeah, too. We'll talk about that in six. But spiritually, exercise your spiritual muscles. Be strong. Be strong spiritually. He's encouraging us in that. Then our last section here. Let no one deceive himself, which means we can. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things pertaining or present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. He's trying to sum something up there, basically telling them that everything you have, you're not of Paul, you're not of Apollos, you're not of Cephas, you're of God. And if you're of God's, then you're of Christ. And if you're of Christ, then you have everything that Christ has given you. And that is Paul and Apollos and Cephas and all these things. They're all yours. There's a teacher that he gave us. He may use implements, he may use different tools, we may be different tools, we may be different implements, but he's given us one person that uses all those things, and that's the Holy Spirit, promised in John 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think that's important to throw in there, because he says, I'd like to tell you all this, but I'm not going to tell you now, I'm going to tell you later, through the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the continual teaching of Jesus Christ now. He doesn't have to be born. He doesn't have to be walking around. We didn't have to live back then. He's given us the Holy Spirit to finish what he wanted to say to the disciples back then. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, Jesus is telling the Holy Spirit to teach you. And that is the only way we learn. You cannot reject the Holy Spirit and still be taught by Christ. That is the chain. Jesus tells the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit tells you. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to grow, to learn. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And then finally, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, babes, tossed to and fro and carried about with envy, uh, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective workings or working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I put that in there because I want you to know that although the Holy Spirit teaches, he uses tools. He uses a pastor teacher. He uses a prophet. He uses an evangelist. He uses an apostle. But it's all meant to edify the body of Christ and to build us up. The Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. You have to have the Spirit of Christ. It's not a different spirit. It's his actual spirit. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing to be afraid of. And I have lots of other scriptures. I better just... I got too many. All things. 1 Corinthians two sixteen. We already went over it. He says, we have the mind of Christ. Let that sink in. I think that we'll hit that several times in Corinthians. You have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the mind of Christ. That means that you can run eternal circles around every carnal person out there. I think we forget that sometimes. The world has its own system. The world has its own ways. The world has its own wisdom. But I have the mind of Christ, which means I can run circles around all of their ideas and all their thoughts and plans because I have the mind of Christ. If I trust it, if I listen to him, if I'm led by the Spirit, if I'm walking in the Spirit, nobody can entrap me. Nobody can catch me off guard. Nobody can defeat me because I have the mind of Christ. If I go to jail, it's because God wants me there like Paul and Silas. They're there because God's plan. Nobody caught them. Nobody tricked them. In fact, when the doors were open, they stayed. Now, God's not done here yet. The world, <laughs> the Satan, he wanted to purge them out of that prison. They're singing way too many songs. Too many guys are getting saved. Just open these doors up and let them out of here. And we're not going anywhere yet. You know, we're not done yet. They're not captives. We're not captives. We have the mind of Christ. We run eternal circles around the worldly. We need to believe that, know that, walk that way. Not defeated. 
not wondering how things are going to turn out in the world, not sure what this economic situation is going to bring about in the United States, around the world. What's Greece going to do? Who cares? I have the mind of Christ. Walk in wisdom. Walk in his wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, So much there tonight. As Paul was trying to deal with their divisions, as they divided themselves amongst people, implements, farm implements, they were never meant to do that. Each person was brought into their lives on purpose. Paul was brought into plant, Apollos was brought into water, and so on. And so in our lives, God, you bring different people into our lives at different times to help us in our growth. And you know what's best because you're the farmer. So God, we thank you for everybody you brought into our lives. Whatever they've added to our lives. Whatever they've taught us, God, thank you for that. Help us to continue to build wisely upon this foundation of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, Lord, as implements also, as Paul was the planter and Apollos was the water, Lord, what do you have for each of us? What are we called to do? Help us not to go beyond what we're called to do, but also help us to be available when you've called upon us, God. To be faithful to be used by you, to be ready, to be usable, a good piece of equipment, Lord. It's always at the ready. We want to be those people too. So Lord, thank you for not only letting us be in the ministry, but also ministering to us. What a great chapter for us, God, to know that you're bringing the increase in our lives. And it's going to be quality if we trust you and let you. Lord, bless these guys as they go tonight. Minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen.